Hey everybody, this is Joel Hookster of Whitesnake, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to yet another week of Focus on Metal. And I know we don't have Joel Holkstra on the show this week. I just decided to throw that on only because our friend and uh, sometimes show contributor John Caddick over at Iron City Rocks talks to Joel Holkstra on his latest episode. So you may want to go check that out. Head over to ironcityrocks.com and look for episode 472. And uh, Joel talking about some of his latest solo endeavors as well. Of course, since it is the season, what's going on with uh, TSO? So talking all about what's going on. What's going on this week here at Focus on Metal? We will be talking with producer-engineer Ron Nevison. And uh, you want to know kind of the width and breadth of what this guy was up to in his career just, uh, you know, just hit up to the old trusty Wikipedia and you'll get just a snippet of the stuff that Mr. Nevison has taken part in. So this is actually one of those ones where we actually recorded this back in August. And since then, just other things have been put in front of it and put in front of it and put in front of it. And finally, last week, Richie was like, I, I want you to run the Ron episode. So the next two weeks are going to be nothing but Ron Nevison talking all about some uh, some good stuff back in the day. And Richie really dialed it in. And uh, I won't say that he really made Ron's day, but he really wanted to talk to Ron about damn Yankees and bad English. So not exactly pounding metal out there, but uh, definitely some great players in those bands. And, uh, you know, much to uh, Ron's chagrin, as you find out as we delve into the interview, that each one of those bands has a person in there that uh, Ron has no desire to ever work with again. Not the band itself, but uh, just particular people, one person in Damn Yankees, one person in Bad English. And if you kind of know your music genre and personalities and all that good shit, you can probably figure out who those two people are before we even get into our talk with Ron. And one more thing before we get into our talk with Ron, just want to remind everybody that our buddy Brian and his friends, they, they put together that great book, Queensryche, Building Empires. You can get that all over the place now. So do yourself a favor, go pick yourself up a copy of that and really delve into a lot of the uh, intricate history that is Queensryche, all the back in the day with what bands they started in and the whole link and the incredible soap opera that uh, gave us Queensryche. Great reading there, and I am still hoping to finally schedule something, get Brian on here, or maybe Richie will do it, because uh, obviously from the lack of a show last week, you can probably tell that I am just uh, completely socked in with stuff. You know, last weekend, not making many excuses, but it's my excuse. Literally, uh, I worked every single waking hour of the weekend, so I really didn't have one. Obviously, had no time to uh, put a show together for you guys, but I made the commitment that I was going to not let two weeks pass. I think I've done that as we roll our uh, part one of Richie's uh, talk with Ron Nevison. So what do you say we'll get to that right now? Hey, Rich. Hey, Ron. How are we doing? Doing good. Uh, you're on the West Coast? Yes. Okay. How long have you been out there? 
Uh, Too long. <laughs> since the 1975. Oh, okay. Nice. Nice. So you, obviously, you obviously like it out there. Where are you from? You sound Irish. I am. I'm from Ireland, Waterford in Southern Ireland. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, I, yeah, I, uh, in, I, I grew up in Philly, and uh, in the late 60s, I was uh, sound mixing bands. I, was, I got to be quite, uh, quite a good sound mixer and was doing tours with Jefferson Airplane and uh, Eric Clapton and uh, Traffic with Steve Winwood. Uh-huh. And uh, I got I got an offer from Chris Blackwell, who's Stevie's manager, who was the head of Island Records, to uh, uh, work in his studio in London. Nice. So I, I was complaining. I was out on tour with uh, Traffic, and uh, uh, Chris was on tour too. And I was complaining to him that I was pretty burnt out on the road uh, mixing. And uh, he said, "What do you want to do?" I, I I said, "I'd like to get in the studio," and you know do studio work. He said, well, you can come and work at Island Studios. So I moved to London and there you go. Nice. Nice. I'm, um, I'm just outside of Boston here. It's nearly a hundred degrees. It's roasting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's not bad. I, I was just 116 here. I heard. Yeah. I heard you get this temperature records being set out your way. Yeah. Well, it's now moving to you. It's a heat dome. So nice. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, you're get, not going to get that. You're not going to get to 116, though. Okay. Okay. Maybe, you know. But, yeah, it's been a perfect storm. What can I say? Yeah. So the reason I have you on, Ron, I'm going to talk about damn Yankees and bad English. But a couple of weeks ago, though, I I spoke to Key Key Marcello from Europe. And I know you worked on on his new record. I believe you mixed it, and we talked talked a bit about that. But um, so I asked asked Key... uh, did he get on well with you in the studio for the Europe record, and and why right. why you weren't asked to work on the follow up Prisoners in Paradise? And right. were you disappointed you weren't asked to work on the follow up? Don't remember. Okay. I don't remember. I think that uh, everybody wants a hit out of a producer, and I love that band. Uh, I especially love Key Marcello, uh, one of my t- favorite people and favorite guitar players of all time. And I've worked with uh, the best. Uh, when you have a hit like Final Countdown, which is just just a theme, it's hard to follow that up. And this was not a band uh, that I could bring songs to, like I did with Heart, and I did with Chicago, and had huge hits. This had to be a self-contained thing. And they had to be able to follow up Final Countdown. And, uh, you know, as good as that album is, it didn't have that Final Countdown uh, single. And so whenever that happens, yeah, it might it, it went platinum. That's not so bad, right? Uh-huh. Uh, but they, they might be looking for somebody else to give them that, that thing. So, I, you know, I don't know. I... I it was a great experience, I thought. I don't know what Keith said. He, uh, what did Keith say? He loved it. Um, one of the things I did ask him about was, and I, I know a lot of people love this, the, the guitar solos, the sound you got on the guitar solos and that guitar tone. He was telling me 
the way you did it, with all, you got so many cabinets in and you were very picky about mm-hmm. which ones to pick and all right. that. He really went right. into detail on that. And I, I think, Ron, that what that said was the reason that the album had that sound is because you were so picky in getting the right sound to begin with. Right. Well, maybe so. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty picky, period. Yeah. My, I have a 10-year-old daughter that complains all the time. <laughs> okay. You know. Uh, but sure, uh, you, you have to, as a producer, realize potential and you have to kind of, uh, you know, depending, uh, they had just had a big hit and, uh, so they had the money to get extra gear to spend more time. I don't always have that luxury. Uh, I, you know, I, I can't tell a young man, I need 10 cabinets. <laughs> they look at me like, what? and so you know so there's part of it I guess yeah so so we'll get on to the damn Yankees bad English albums now Ron and one of the general questions I have about those two bands Mm. um, they're they're what you call super groups they were put together by somebody else and a lot of the bands a lot of the bands you'd work with up until then They'd cut their teeth together through the clubs. You know, they'd had their ups and downs. They had personal bonds and relationships. And you could tell when they got into the studio uh, to, to work with you. Um, was the environment different then in working with Tam Yankees and Bad English because they'd been successful with different bands before then? You had probably different egos to massage, maybe, you as a producer. Can you remember all those all that? Uh, well, not different. I'm not sure. They, had, they all have. Let's let's start with Damn uh, Yankees. Uh, and I'll give you a brief history of uh, interesting facts about Damn Yankees. You know, Damn uh, Yankees uh, was put together. Um, uh, what's his name? John Kalodner. Uh, I'll think John by Kalodner. For Geffen and Ed Rosenblatt, in the end, didn't want to sign him, and so uh, he passed it off to uh, Warner Brothers. And, and Michael Austin called me up, and they had done demos, and I went to listen, and I loved it. And I said I'd like to do it. Uh, now, at, at that time, um, this was '89, I would think. Uh, in '86 or '87, I had kind of told. Uh, um, uh, Night Rangers manager, Bruce Cohn, that I would do a Night Ranger album. And when it came time to do it, I passed. And they were really pissed at me. So uh, I wasn't sure if Jack Blades was going to hold that against me, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I said, I'd love to do it. And I talked to Jack. I had Jack come over my house in Bel Air and had a powwow. And, and uh, everything seemed to be good. And uh, I, I, I talk to Jack on a regular basis. Uh, at least text him on a regular basis if I don't actually get to talk to him. Uh-huh. And so, um, and if, that was a great experience. You know, uh, Tommy Shaw brought uh, Michael Cardelloni in uh, from New York. Uh, he had been working with him. And of course, Nugent, fantastic player. Um, not my kind of politics, but... Uh, uh, you know, there, I have some regrets on the damn Yankees record. 
uh, because there wasn't the unity. Uh, think, listening, thinking back about Damn Yankees, it was really Tommy and Jack's album and Ted's Roadshow. Okay. You know, uh, it, when it came to going on the road, Ted Nugent took over. Uh, Ted did not want to, he wanted to come to LA where we were doing the record and do everything at once. You know, when I first listened to the demos and I thought, you know, I've got two great guitar players. I, I, you know, I think Tommy Shaw is a very underrated guitar player. I've got two great guitar players. I love to have them playing off each other. That's one of my favorite things. Uh, I, I, yeah, I've done uh, albums with Outlaws and different, where they actually had three guitar players. Um, and Nugent wanted to come and do everything at once. He wanted to like come and spend, spend three days and he was gone. You know, he had his own Ted's world, we called it. His own life, his bow hunting and all the stuff in Michigan. And he wasn't what I was used to with, with this kind of situation. You know, and I had been through different uh, super groups. I, I did the Bad Company's first three albums, and they were a kind of a super group, you know. Uh -huh. Paul Rogers from Free, Paul Rogers from Free, and, and Simon from Free, and uh, Mott the Hoople's, Mick Rouse, et cetera, et cetera. And they, they were all buds, and they were all close. And, and we went to houses and, 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 and put ourselves away in the woods and recorded and had a great time. Uh, Ted wasn't like that. Ted wanted to do his thing. And so consequently, Tommy did most of the guitar on that. Now, don't, I don't want to say that Ted didn't contribute. He did. In fact, the riff on, on, uh, come again is his riff. And he wrote a, a lot of the stuff. I didn't get as much time as I wanted to have Ted in the studio. Okay. He just, didn't, he just wouldn't, he just wouldn't turn up. And when he, when he, after about six weeks, he came back for solos and I sat down with him the first, tr the first song. I don't remember what it was. He didn't even remember what key the tune was in. <laughs> now, as a producer, as a producer, I have to sit there and be ready to hit that record button. Of course, things are different now, Pro Tools and stuff, but... I have to be ready to hit that record button the very first take because it might be the best they've ever played it because they prepare for it, most guitar players. 90% of them will know what they want to do and have a framework that they'll play, have escape routes and, and, and all that. And uh, I was shocked. I was sitting there. He didn't even, he was fumbling through it. Okay, Richie, within half an hour, he had a great solo. So his attitude was, I'm Ted fucking Nugent. I don't need to rehearse, you know? Uh. And so, I, yeah, oh, well, this song, I remember, it goes something like this. And so uh, disconcerted, to say the least. That didn't mean I didn't get uh, what I wanted out of it. Um, of course, Ted wanted to shred through everything. He wanted to, like, turn it up on 10 and play it like that, even for ballads, which makes it a little difficult. Hmm. You know. um, Ron, when you heard the demos, the Damn Yankees yeah. demos, and, and you picked the project, were the four guys okay. on the demos? Um, yes. Okay, so they'd, yes. Ar they'd already been in the studio together 
written the songs yeah. and, and recorded them. It, yes, that's something, I, believe that's, so. I, I believe so. Okay, I believe so. Okay, and and from there, once once we once we st- once we agreed to work together, we also agreed because uh, there's a lot of politicking going on here. We also agreed to to do uh, like five day rehearsal or three day rehearsal. I don't remember what it was at Ted's place in Michigan, and then three days at Jack's place in Santa Rosa, California. So we go to Michigan for three days. Uh, I remember staying in a Holiday Inn at near near where he lived in Jackson, Michigan. And and then a, a week or two later, uh, we went to uh, Jack's place in Santa Rosa at his house, and we rehearsed. And uh, while we were at Jack's house rehearsing, uh, was when the uh, earthquake in October. Uh, October 89 happened in San Francisco and this was only 70 miles away. So, uh, I remember we were rehearsing and, uh, uh, all of a sudden I heard notes lower than I, than Jack was playing, you know? Uh And I looked outside and the water in the swimming pool was lapping. (laughs) And we all went, um, you know, shit. And we all ran out of the house. Yeah. Uh, and there was, there was no damage to Jack's house. But, of course, the epicenter of the earthquake was in Santa Cruz, which was south of San Francisco. I had a hotel room in Sausalito, uh, which is just north of the Golden Gate. And my, when I got back to my hotel room, it was trashed. Um, yeah, it was quite an experience. But uh, without getting too deeply into that, once that calmed down, I then took them into a studio to do a live recording of the album. After we did like three days of rehearsals at Jack's, we went into this little studio in a place called Kotati, Prairie Sun Studios. I think it's still there. And we just set up and played the 10 songs live, you know. Uh, and uh, just to get a feel for the whole thing, hmm. and and uh, yeah, and from there we went right down to Los Angeles. Um, can't exactly remember where we cut the tracks. Uh, Rumbo A and M uh, record plant, uh, one of those. Okay, one of those uh, places. A uh, Can Am is another place I used in those days. Uh, I do remember though, also, I do remember doing overdubs at Rumbo Studios because, uh, there was, uh, the Rodney King thing had happened and the day that the police were exonerated, there was riots in Los Angeles and, uh, uh, there was a curfew and I remember uh, doing uh, vocal overdubs with Tommy Shaw when the riots hit and the freeways were closed down and all, all that kind of stuff happened. I don't know if you're aware of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, that gives me a time frame of when I was in and where I was with Damn Yankees. Yeah. Um, now, Ron, Damn, yeah. Yan- Damn Yankees was John, John Kalodner's baby, right? He put it together. Right. 
Absolutely. And yeah. he had brought in outside songwriters to work with bands before Damn Yankees, notably Aerosmith. You were, right. you, you'd worked on records with the likes of Heart, and you brought in the outside songwriters on that. Right. Um, right. But for Damn Yankees, the band wrote all the songs. Um, right. Did they not want the outside <clears throat> songwriters? Like you, did you and Sean just think that the songs were good enough anyway? Oh, we thought this, we thought they were hits. I thought that, uh, you know, if we could get to the ballad, it would be a big smash, you know, uh, high enough. Yeah. And, um, you know, in, in those days, there was a, the two-tier kind of situation. You had the album radio, AOR, and then you had Top 40, which was, you know, named Contemporary Hit Radio, CHR. And so if you could, if you could... If you could have a, a, a you know top five uh, album record uh, you know hit, you could probably get a gold album. And if you if you had a uh, top five CHR, that could turn into platinum. So you know we had to kind of have different layers in these albums to 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 to, to penetrate as big a market as as possible, right? Mm-hmm. I thought that the the damn Yankees had all of that. I didn't think we needed to. To uh, to pull it out with anything, uh, uh, yeah, that, that was a, that was a, as far as I was concerned, that was a hit from the beginning. Mm. Did you know John Kaladner before Damn Yankees? Yes. Oh, I had had <clears throat> I had I love John Kaladner. I really do. I think he's a very talented guy. Uh, the, the problem I always had with John Kaladner was he was, I think, the best A and R guy creates the marriages like John did, but then gets out of the way and doesn't meddle. You know, I look at it as like a marriage broker, uh, but then leave me alone, <clears throat> right? Yeah. Let me do the rest. And I had done a record when John was at Atlantic with Survivor, and uh, who I later came back and did a, a, a Platinum Plus record with Vital Signs in 1984. Uh-huh. But in the late seventies, when they were their very first album, um, he, he, uh, I did an album with them and he was meddling and he would send me notes like remove symbol bell. Now uh, he obviously didn't know what the fuck he was doing because that would mean cutting the tracks over <laughs> with that kind of drum sound. You just can't remove the symbols. It's not a drum. It's not a a, a drum machine, you know. So uh, I, there was a, that pissed me off. That really did. Uh, I ended up leaving that project, and the Survivor guys, uh, Peter Rick and um, and and um, uh, guitar player, uh, were pissed. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you remember his name? Um, Frankie Sullivan. Frankie, Frankie, yeah. Frankie were pissed and um, ended up, Mike Clink ended up working with them. And of course he did Eye of the Tiger. Uh, and, um, but they called me back up. They wanted to work with me still. And uh, when the Karate Kid uh, Moment of Truth song came up with, for them to do, uh, they called me up. I flew to Chicago and did the song there. And then they liked that and they got me back to do the vital signs. And we had three hits off that record, you know, 
Um, and so, yeah. So Ron. So yeah, I had, I, I guess a long winded, uh, answer to, yeah, I had a lot of history with Kolodner. And in fact, you know, Kolodner called me up to do Aerosmith and flew me and him. The two of us flew to Boston together to have a meeting with them. And ultimately they went with, which was, I think a big mistake. They went with the guy that had just produced Jagged Little Pill because she was big. Alanis was really big there. But uh, I can't remember his name. You probably have it. Kevin Shirley? Uh, no. Oh. The guy that uh, produced I uh, Alanis Morissette. I can't. I, it's on the tip of my tongue, Ron. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they went with him, and he was not a rock guy. I, that album had to be recut. So, uh, you know, things happen, man. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I would have loved to. I remember going to going to Boston, going to Plymouth, uh, meeting with spending a couple couple hours with them. I flew in the night before, stayed at a hotel, even went to see Plymouth Rock in the morning and and uh, and met with them at uh, uh, Perry's house and went home and then found out they were going to use somebody else. But, you know, can you do? Now, when you're when you're dealing with damn Yankees, um, yeah, do you have to go through John Kalodner to get things done, or can you go directly to the band members? Like you, you, you I oh, give, no, no. I, I yeah. give it, I at this point, at this point, he was leaving me. First of all, he was not involved because he passed it off to Warner Brothers. In other words, Kalodner was now working for Geffen. And he put it together, and um, the president of Geffen nixed it. And so then it went to Warner Brothers. And so he had, he had nothing to do with the record. Okay. And so I was dealing totally with Michael Austin, who left me alone. Um, the way Ted Nugent ended up doing the guitar work on that record, did you think that he took Damn Yankees seriously at the time? No. No. And you know what was even weirder? I thought, okay, sold two million, right? Uh-huh. The next record, he's going to take it seriously. No. This was just, it was like somebody loaned him to us. Okay. Um, how did the rest of the guys feel about that, Jack? Tommy, Tommy and Michael, they were oh, annoyed, yeah, we annoyed were, as well. It was we we called it Ted's world. He was in Ted's world. It was uh, uh, he was he would come. Uh, he wanted to spend as little time as possible, and uh, it was not his priority. Okay. So okay, I, I, you see, I don't know how you can plan on doing a record when you have one guy who acts that way compared to everybody else. Yeah, no, it was, it was, uh, the fact is that the, the, all that record was Tommy and Jack's writing and vocals and Ted solos, you know, that's not important. You know, Ted's very important. I think the, Ted's most important contribution on that record was the riff in Come Again. Like the, 
that was his most important contribution. He had a couple of uh, pile drivers. I remember he had a couple of his own songs, but they weren't factors in in the in the promotion of the record. You know, uh, um, and so his name was important, and his his guitar attitude was important on the record. But it could have been if he had been an equal member of the record of the of the, of the group. If he had come and asserted himself, it would have been a different record. Um, you know. After the experience of doing the debut, did you even want to do Don't Tread? Because you knew Ted had pulled oh, yeah, the same now, tricks again. Uh, uh, you know, I don't want to. I don't want you to think I didn't have a good time. I was disappointed. I, like I said, I was disappointed when. I found out I had two guitar players of their quality to work with. And one wanted to treat it like a film shoot where you just come and do your scenes, Yeah, you know, and not participate. I was disappointed, but I wasn't, you know, uh, it, it could have been, it could have been better. It could have been different. He could have put more effort into it. He didn't. Okay. But it was a great product. Uh, I loved doing it. It was, uh, financially lucrative and, uh, you know, I wouldn't have turned down the second chance. Yeah. Did Did you feel, Ron, when they did Don't Tread, that they were more of a band because they'd been on the road and played a lot of live shows, that they were more cohesive as a band? I didn't see any difference because they had all played live shows with, with uh, uh, again, the same thing happened. He didn't want to... It was just just like the first album. He didn't want to spend any time, so I didn't get I didn't get to really uh, uh, do do too much as a band, you know. Okay. Um, do, do you do you think that the second album suffered because of that? That do you, do you think the second album is not as good as a debut? Um, the second album has is a lot different. Uh, um. For for one thing, at that time, and it's a couple of years later, for some reason, Michael Austin uh, wanted um, wanted a mix. You know, it was the age where people were, were mixing other people's stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's got a totally different sound because the mix was done by. Um, he's a great mixer. Don't get me wrong. But I was never a technical mixer. My stuff's got a lot of reverb. It's real live sounding. Maybe it comes from my live days of mixing on the road, you know. Um, and he just took it out of my hands and uh, mixed it. And the same thing, he did the same thing with the second Chicago album after I had a big hit uh, uh, with uh, Look Away. Uh, uh, the second album... Um, he gave it to somebody else to mix and uh, neither of those albums did as well as the first album. Do you think that the band on the second record, they were chasing the ballad again, that their label wanted another high enough, they told you, listen, we have to get another song like that, make sure it goes on the record? Oh, they they didn't have to, we didn't, we didn't get any, any label, uh, no, th- these guys know how to write hits. Yeah. These guys were experienced hit writers. They knew exactly the follow-up. Okay. And we had follow-ups. They just didn't... The timing was a little different. It was getting more towards Nirvana time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, the timing was perfect in 1989. 
Maybe not so perfect in 91 or 92 or whenever it came out. Nine, yeah, 91. Uh, yeah. And so uh, things have changed. Uh, maybe the ballad, I can't remember the name of the ballad that we worked on. There was a couple of ballads on the record, and they, maybe they weren't quite as good as high enough. And, um, you know, um, I didn't notice any difference. I was hoping that 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 it would change uh, with the success and going out on the road. But, you know, if you saw a road show, uh, halfway through the show, a big target of Saddam Hussein would come out and Ted would pick up a bow and a flaming arrow and shoot it into the target. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) You know, and if you remember, that was that time of, you know, and, you know, there's not a chance on earth that I would do an album with Ted Nugent today because of his politics. You know, I would not, I don't care. There's not enough money on this earth for me to even be in the same room with him. Uh, Ron, but um, does yeah. does he take guidance from you? Is is he diff, is he's obviously very like he can be a stubborn guy. That comes across from what you've already told me about him. But when you try and and give him options, listen, can you try this? Can we do it this way? Does he just put his foot down and say, no, it's my way or the highway? No, I don't think he did. He, you know, he my my problem with him was. He wasn't getting enough time. Not that we didn't work well together. Okay. You know, I like I said, I was a little shocked when I sat down with him and he hadn't rehearsed it. But, you know, after after him remembering the song and all that, he came up with something really good because he's a very talented guy, you know? Hmm. And so uh, my problem more was with uh, not, not when we worked together, but there wasn't enough time to work together. Uh, you know, he wanted to put down a rhythm rhythm part and go home and then come back and do the solo. Well, there's a lot of little parts in between. There's a lot of little layers that are needed to... to it's not just like one part and you're gone. And so that's what he did on these records. He did one rhythm part, went home for six weeks, came back and did the solo. Um, would Tommy or Jack be in the studio at the same time as Ted or would he want to do it on his own with you? Oh, I, you know, I don't remember. Okay. Um, but usually, usually during overdubs, um, just the guy that's working with me would be there, but, but yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't remember. Okay. It's Ron, only 40 it's only 40 years ago. I know, I know. <laughs> Ron, so 30 years ago. Right? Yeah. All right, and that is going to do it for this week. We're going to continue on with Ron next week, give him a whole other week to think back 40 years ago, try to dig that stuff up. Uh, yeah, I I know I'm having trouble remembering 40 years ago as well. But uh, you know, Ron was probably doing a hell of a lot more things than I was. 40 years ago so got to give the guy at least a little bit of a break so hopefully you enjoyed all of that good stuff this week even more of that good stuff coming up next week so uh definitely be looking forward to that and i gotta tell you you know i mentioned it a few weeks ago talking to richie i have been waiting for my boss hm2 waza to arrive 
and uh, supposedly it's been delivered. So when uh, while this thing is busy mixing down, I'm definitely going to uh, beat feet down to the mailroom and hopefully find my uh, long-awaited HM2 Waza boss pedal. Add that to uh, my ever-growing Stompbox collection. So good stuff. And uh, finally, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, I think June was the original release date, maybe July. Here we are, November. So uh, I'm hoping it's down there. I'm going to be so disappointed if it isn't. And of course, my neighbors on either side of me probably won't be very happy because, uh, you know, if it is here, then obviously I'm going to have to put every control up to the max and uh, do a little bit of that classic Swedish chainsaw death metal sound. But uh, again, like I said, next week, more great stuff with Ron Everson. So if you like this week, you're going to love next week. So uh, come on back, hear more about stuff with uh, everything Ron was doing, as well as, of course, in particular, stories with uh, Bad English, Damn Yankees, all that good stuff. But for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, as always, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. You're still here? It's over. Go home.